Welcome to the Six Figure Roadmap, brought to you by Leverage, saving you money on the tools, software, and courses you use to grow your business every single day. Now, here's your host, Cam Martinez. What's up, podcast listeners? Cam Martinez here with another incredible interview on our first season of the Six Figure Roadmap. Today, we are joined by none other than Mr. Steve Sims. As the founder of Bluefish, one of the top personal concierge services and an expert marketer within the luxury industry, Steve has been quoted in various publications and TV, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London Sunday Times, South China Morning Post, and many more. He's a best-selling author with Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, sought-after consultant and speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as Pentagon and Harvard twice. Want to sing with your favorite rock star? Be serenaded by Andre Bocelli, walk the red carpet at A-list Oscar parties, get married in the Vatican, dive to the wreck of the Titanic. These are just a few highlights of what Steve has been asked to provide for his clients. It's amazing. He makes the impossible possible. After all, he is quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. Steve is well-regarded within the luxury world for his innovation and down-to-earth personality and is known for his honesty, integrity, and doing things his way. Steve creates experiences for his clients that they never, ever could have imagined being possible. So without further ado, after the long bio, please let's welcome Mr. Steve Sims. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. I've got to try and live up to that intro now. (laughs) Yeah, it was an incredible intro. A lot of accolades there. Long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, so many incredible things just in in that short intro. (laughs) Um, But my first question to you is, is what have you been up to since our brunch that you, Sylvania, and I had in LA in January? Oh, God. Um, Cheapest. I think I think the short answer is a bloody lot. Um, <laughs> I've been speaking everywhere from uh, Vegas, Vegas, Detroit, Seattle, and uh, not Seattle, uh, San Francisco, Mexico, and Phuket, Thailand. So, been doing a lot of speaking. In fact, uh, next month in or in whenever this comes out, but in June, I'm speaking in Vegas. San Diego and Toronto with Richard Branson. So yeah, there's a lot of speaking things going on. Um, I'm doing my own speakeasy events, which I threw. Uh, the last one I did was in uh, LA in uh, February, and the next one I'm doing is in Reno in July. Then I think I'm going to do Chicago. Um, but uh, in between that, I've had clients playing soccer with their favorite soccer people over in Europe. Um, I did the uh, the Elton John Oscar party. Uh, do that every year, get on my clients, get over there and hang out with uh, Sir Elton. Um, as I say, I'm doing an event next month with uh, Richard Branson. In fact, we're doing a private dinner with him. In fact, I'm actually doing a podcast episode on him in the, in the same month. So I think the, I think the short answer is a bloody lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. And I remember during our conversation uh, at brunch, you were saying that you always used to be a guy that liked to stay behind the scenes. You like to stay in the gray mm. of the media and appearances. And for the audience, will you share why you decided to step 
into the the limelight of the small circle that we're all in. Um, yeah, um, as of late. I'm not sure I stepped in. I think I got pushed. Um, <laughs> so to 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 break it down, for 20 plus years, I've run the most successful ex- what we call experiential concierge firm. We're like the Make a Wish Foundation for billionaires with really big checkbooks. So you want to go down to the Titanic, you want to get married in the Vatican by the Pope, you want Andrea Bocelli to serenade you while you're eating your pasta. You know, those are the stuff. That, those are the things that we've done, um, and we do. Um, so. My clients are very private, very, very wealthy and very private. A lot of people go, oh, I work for the rich and famous. I work for the richer and unknown, okay? That's, that's my clients. Um, so with that, I was also kind of like very much under the radar. No one really knew who I was. I was this big, ugly biker-looking dude and no one really knew what was going on, but I was closing down museums in Florence and stuff. So when I released the book... Um, or when I was approached to do a book, I was asked to do a book on a tell-all. It was a, it was a kiss and tell. Hey, I did this for this person, and they did this, and they spent that amount of money. And if I ever did a book like that, quite simply, I'd be dead within a few hours. Um, <laughs> simple as that. So we didn't do it. Then I got, I was still doing um, some entrepreneur events where certain entrepreneurial organizations like Mastermind Talks with Jason Gaynard, Genius Network with Joe Polish, they started having me on their stages. And I started telling them how this bricklayer from London was now doing this with, with Elon Musk. And I started giving more of a how-to rather than a I did what. Um, and then they came back to me with a book and they said, hey, can you do a can I, how you did this stuff rather than? And at that point in time, I got pissed off. Most of my actions happen and I've noticed this is a, is a lying thread within all entrepreneurs. Most of us do things because we're aggravated about the way they're done. And I was looking around at the planet, and I've got three kids. So you kind of look at it. You, you, you can't help but look three generations in front of you because you've got three, three kids. And you're like, I wonder what's going to be happening when you're in your youth in 20, 30 years old, I couldn't give a crap. In 30 years' time, I'm going to be sitting on the porch telling dirty jokes and drinking too much whiskey. I'm done in 30 to 50 years' time, but my kids will be in that, in that, in that element. They'll be in that, that, that limelight. And so I suddenly started thinking to myself, I need to get a reset because there's certain things about today's life that piss me off. So the book became a platform for me to air my grievances, for me to remark on what I thought about social uh, relationships, communication, all of those things. And so when the book came out, what no one tells you is if the book's successful, you're suddenly owned by everyone else. You are suddenly dragged into that limelight, dragged into the spotlight where people go, hey, you said this in this chapter, you know, what was that? And I, I've never been a guy that's liked too much limelight. Um, and all of a sudden I'm being quizzed. You know, I've been to airports. I've been, you know, the, the book's done really well. Um, I've been at airports. I've been having dinner with my family in New York. I've been just walking down the streets. And people have come up to me and they've said, hey, you know, I, I knew the guy. That, and they've noticed me. My kids are like, what the bloody hell is this? Because I don't look warm and fuzzy. But it's suddenly become this thing. And then people have wanted more. And if what you say, and I'm warning anyone out there, if they're thinking of writing a book, think twice and then twice again. 
Because if it's successful, you've now just created a monster that you're going to hopefully try and unleash and direct. But it's 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 going to have a world of its own. Um, and that was it. People suddenly started asking me on more stages, uh, TV shows, media, podcasts like now, um, and all those kind of things. So it really just took off. And I didn't want to do it. But it was the fact that I was still aggravated about the way everyone else was handling themselves that gave me the chance to actually do a reset on the way that I wanted the world to be. So it was selfish reasons that I got out there. Got it. I had never heard that that length of the explanation before. So you kind of, you said you were pushed into it, and which means that you kind of started out fresh in the, the circle that you're running in. It's a, it seems to be a lot of... Um, you know, not only celebrities, but you're, you're pretty big in the digital marketing circle, the realm. Um, what has it been like to start something new like that? Even though you kind of had a leg up with the success of your book and you knew people, um, you still had to kind of adapt to, to the culture of, of the people in that circle. What, what was that like? Well, that was funny because I went up to New York when we had the book deal and I had just had an eight-page article written on me in Forbes, okay? And they were the first ones, I think, that called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. And I remember sitting in a room, and at the end of this room was this girl who I actually thought was on kind of like bring your daughter to work day. She looked like about 12 years old, but she was actually looking after some of the social for this publishing house. And she turned around to me and she said, well, how, uh, how aggressive or active are you on Instagram? And I said, oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And she looked me up and she said, you got 16 followers. Now, I'm, I'm probably sure that my kids were three of those. My mum was maybe another one. Maybe I'd signed up for myself. You know, who bloody knew? But I hadn't paid any attention to it. I remember one of my PAs actually signing me up for all of these things. I thought I didn't do anything with it. And I think some people got lost and just jumped on my page and pushed like and didn't bloody know what they were liking. And this girl turned around, she said, you've only got 16 followers. I went, yeah. And she said, we need to work on that. And I said, well, hang on a minute. I just got an eight-page article in Forbes with me, with Elon Musk, Richard Branson. So I think I'm doing okay. And she said to me, she said, no one reads Forbes anymore, but they read Instagram every five minutes. And, and I suddenly realized that there was a change. Now, she annoyed me, but... I suddenly realized that there was a change in how people got their news, but also how they found credibility. You know, just because you've got a ton of followers on, on Instagram doesn't mean you're credible. You know, you can put that shit up yourself. If you're having an article written in you in Forbes, I'll tell you, they fact check, they call you twice, they get different people contact you, contact some of your references to make... You can't say I closed down a museum in Florence and had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade my clients over dinner without it actually happening. Um, But on Instagram, you can bullshit your way through life. You can be leaning up against cars, yachts, anything you like. So it's very strange how the association of credibility now is creating credibility. And you're right. You're absolutely right. My circle of clients, my circle of friends, my circle of um, relationships, when I got the book deal, I literally was on the phone at the time with Tony Robbins and Jay Abraham. And I was like, oh, you never guess what, fellas. 
And they were like, oh, you've got to come. Jay invited me down to his house, and I went down there, and we chatted about So I was able to talk to not just people that were quite good, you know, major, major, major people, and go, well, hang on a minute. I'm going to be on stage now. I spoke to Joel Walden and said, look, apparently I've got to do a lot more stage um, speaking gigs. And he was like, come to me. And he's a, a hall of, he's the only guy that owns uh, the title of Hall of Fame in all four um, different Hall of Fame groups. Um, and so, you know, he went over my speaking techniques and Jay Abraham went over my my book sales and distribution. And I had, you know, other friends talk to me about how to market it, how to focus on Instagram. So I had all of these experts. But here's the beautiful thing. When you've been doing stuff for years, you keep doing it because you've been doing it that way for years. Now, the fact is, shit changes on a daily basis nowadays. Your algorithms change on a daily basis. What was fascinating and exciting yesterday is annoying and racist tomorrow. You know, it just, mm. you can say something today and in 10 years time, I guarantee you, you will be annihilated for it because it was ignorant or it was rude or it was malicious or it wasn't portrayed. You know, we're, we're changing the rules on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis. So by coming into it fresh, you kind of go, well, why was that done that way? And you get a lot of people go, oh, well, that's how we've been doing it for years. And you can turn around and do the Elon Musk uh, route because Elon's always turned around and gone, just because it's been done that way doesn't mean it has to be done that way. And you can reanalyze it and go, well, I don't like it. I remember my my uh, agent sent me 2500 bucks, okay? And they said, right, the book's coming out. Buy some champagne rent a table, we're going to get you a slot in Barnes & Noble in a place called The Grove in Los Angeles, and you're going to sit behind it with the books and some champagne and sign books. And I thought to myself, no, I ain't. (laughs) There's there's no way in the world I'm going to sit there in a bloody shopping mall just waiting for people to walk up to this, this again warm, fuzzy biker-looking guy going, hello, could you tell me about the book? No, I can't. You know, there was no way this was going to happen. So I literally took that, and this was one of the examples of just because it was done that way doesn't mean it has to be. I took that, took it to a whiskey bar in in, uh, Sunset Boulevard, and invited a bunch of my buddies, which just also happened to be influencers. So I had the Cole Hatters, the the, the, uh, Caleb Maddox, Jesse Elder, Jim Quick, yeah, you know, I just invited a whole bunch, Greg Reed, a whole bunch of people that were, were friends, but also just happened to have massive followings and put it behind the bar and we just got drunk. Um, <laughs> and that was it. And do you know, the funny thing is, it really is empowering and kind of fun to go against the norm. So I think while I had the experts that told me how it was done, I also didn't need it. I didn't need it to. Um, oh, how do I how do I phrase this? If it, did, I don't want to say I don't care, but if what I tried failed, my mortgage was still paid. Mm. So a lot of people that are, are consultants, our coaches, our speakers, our authors, they do that stuff to make money. Now, hey, I'm not here trying to tell you that I'm, I'm levitating off the ground and I've got a halo and stuff like that, but I'm doing it to make a change. And if what I do works great. 
If what I do fails, well, let's find a way of doing it to make it work. But I'm not there going, well, hey, I need I need $80,000 this month. I've got to sell this amount of courses. I've got to sell this amount. I have 20 consulting clients, and I top it out of that. And I think I've, I'm at about 14, and we, we run through. you know, So someone will be with us for three months. Someone will be with us for a year. So we're constantly checking, but we won't go over 20 consulting clients because we want to give attention to detail. So I urge you, in whatever you're doing, just because you've got friends around you that have always done it that way, don't always listen that that's the way that it should be done. I love it. I want to continue on this, the the insight that you were providing there, huge lessons, lessons inside of what you just said. Um, but for our audience who are trying to get from where they are to where they want to be on their journey to hitting six figures in their business, what are three key items you would tell them to focus on when trying to bridge that gap to, to make six figures consistently in their business? Um, first of all, someone told me years ago, take zero effort to be you. Okay. So if you're trying to be someone else, if you're trying to appear smarter than you are, if you're trying to appear more successful than you are, all of those things are effort. Okay. So cut it out. All right. If you ride a bus to work every day, do a video from a bus and go, hey, I'm not in a Rolls Royce because I'm in a bus because the bus allows me to read a book while I'm being transferred to work. And hey, I'm saving money. You know, use everything, all of your weaknesses to your strengths, but reveal who you are. Because joking aside, and what everyone's trying to do today is brand themselves as different. Well, the daft thing is, we're already different the second we come out of the womb. And then what we try to do is mimic other people that assimilate to success. You know, we wear the, the, the beanie because we want to look like Gary V. You know, we, mm. we try all these different things because we want to be, you know, Grant Cardone. We want to be Tay Lopez. We want to be Tony Robbins. No, you want to be you and you want to be the best version of you. So for a start, cut out the effort on being you. That will end up being your brand. That will end up being your moral compass. That'll end up being what you stand for. And that will end up being your magnet to attract those that can resonate with you at zero effort. So the first thing is get the effort out of being you. Love it. I love it. I'm curious from your many years working with celebrities and influencers, most of them who are your friends, you get to see into their lives what is the most common element or theme that, that holds people back from getting to the status that all those people have in society? Fear. And it, it's, it's one step further than fear. I had the honor um, of, of walking through SpaceX with Elon Musk and Elon turned around and I said something to him about the rockets. Um, and I was just, I was making light of it or something like that about, you know, whoever thought you'd be doing rockets or, you know, something like that flippant. Um, and he turned around and he said, um, they'll always laugh at you before they applaud. And it was just this little off the cuff saying, and then we got into a conversation about, it. but I always remember that. And it made me realize that most people don't try not for fear of failing, but for fear of people seeing them fail. Now, Elon Musk, for argument's sake, he had those rocket boosters that came back to Earth. And do you remember they used to land on the, uh, the platform out in the ocean? Mm-hmm. And then they would tip over and then they would explode, wouldn't they? It was, very, it was very dramatic and that show on the news. When was the last time you saw that? Not for a while. And do you know why? No. Because they bloody work now. 
It's not interesting <laughs> when it fucking works, is it? It's only interesting when everything fails. If you look at AFI, uh, um, is it AFE or what? You know, America's Funniest Videos, okay? The, the funny videos are people walking into walls, tripping over, you know, people doing stuff that makes them fail and everyone gets some ridicule and laugh at them. The, the one thing that I noticed that help, holds people back is that they don't want people to see them fail. The successful people don't give a shit. They really don't care. They look at failing as education on what not to do. I class some of the greatest serial failures out there as the Elon Musk's, Steve Jobs. You look, if anyone reads the book on Steve Jobs and looks at the history of Apple and all of the shit, wasteful, useless programs, software, hardware that they developed that no one freaking wanted, and then all the iRange came along, the iPhone, the iTunes, the um, the iPod, that leapt in. But you wouldn't have got there had you not have had all the other um, failures in which to educate you and fine-tune where you needed to be. So failure is your education on fine-tuning to where you need you to be. So I, I, I tell everyone, go and fail at something. You know, try. If I'm, if I'm not failing at something, if something's not going wrong, then I'm not pushing boundaries. I'm not trying hard enough. But the difference is those that stay down are scared of failure, and they allow it to define them. They keep it down there. The successful people fail a lot, often, and repeatedly. They don't allow it to define them. They allow it to refine them, and that's the difference. Hmm. I was just talking to Sylvania about that this morning, actually, because uh, there's many Soft things dude. that fail that. Oh, yeah, 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 smart guy. He is. Um, no, I love that. It, it's... It, <laughs> what I'm starting to learn about doing interviews with people like you, Steve, is not, a lot of people say the same thing of what holds people back, what brings you success. And we still constantly see those who aren't following the generic advice that you just gave. It's powerful, but it's nothing new. And it's fantastic. It's nothing new. No one that did anything great did it by following others. And I am just stunned at why that is the direction. And we get scared. You know, when something becomes trendy, everyone freaking wears it. You know, yep. it's, there's, there's a herd sheep mentality out there. And people, people are petrified. Now, if I get a stupid picture on Instagram of me falling off my bike and banging my head or me walking into a building or something like that, and someone takes a photograph, good on you. If that makes you giggle, good for you. But gives a shit. You know, we, here's the dumb thing. We're all doing it. How many times in the last six months have you done something stupid and gone, Oh shit, I wish I had done it. You know, in business, you know, you could have been cooking a meal and forgot to put an ingredient in there, but we, 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 we make mistakes. We're human beings. You know, it makes me laugh. You go and buy a car or you go and buy a computer or you go and buy a product and you look at the warranty, you look at what the guarantees are. If you look at a human being, no one would ever buy one of those because we're guaranteed to fail, we're guaranteed to make mistakes, we're guaranteed to say stupid shit, we're guaranteed to do something wrong. Yet that's what makes us human beings. But it's that thought, the idiocy in you that you think you're going to be able to change that? No, you want to learn from it. We're constantly evolving, we're constantly developing, but we don't. 
if you don't try things and benefit from your education of failures. Hmm. Powerful. All right. I want to wrap this up with some rapid fire questions. Feel free to give single answers or, or go into try. I'll try and keep them short because <laughs> my answers haven't been. So I apologize. Right. No, short no answers. It's it's been great information. Don't don't apologize for that. <laughs> All right. First one. What is one non-negotiable habit you implement every day? Be me. Love it. What is one book you wish everyone in the world would read? Oh, well then shallow plug blue fishing the art of making things happen by the uber attractive steve sims he's beautiful read it <laughs> <laughs> on what do you like to spend your time and money outside of business uh motorcycles whiskey and barbecuing what is the most memorable experience you've ever had me and my wife you're stranded on an island who are two celebrities you would want to be stranded with I think one of them would be Ray Kurzweil. Um, a lot of people don't know who he is, but he is the man behind Siri. And he's a literally a rocket scientist and a genius. And he's actually a futurist. So he's thinking about the answers to problems that the issue hasn't even been invented yet. Um, so he's like, just it's just incredible to talk to him. And the, probably the other one would just be... Uh, a comedian so they could make me smile after I'm feeling <laughs> depressed over what Ray's telling me that's going to end up to our civilization. <laughs> They're probably those two. Or maybe a famous chef. I'd have Wolfgang there so he could knock me up some good barbecue. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So everyone, thanks for tuning in. We're going to put uh, all of the links to, to Steve's social media profiles, the link to his book. So you can go and read that. Very powerful, very informative. My 16 followers on Instagram will be happy. <laughs> Yes. Be, <laughs> hopefully you are number 17. You can find all those resources at lvrg.it and on your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Steve Sims. He's the bald guy who's always pictured on a motorcycle with a whiskey in his hand or standing next to someone famous. So you can't miss him. <laughs> He's easy to see. So Steve, one last question for you. Is there any last piece of advice that you would give to the people listening? My dad, big old thick Irish man, turned around to me one day and he said, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And that has stuck with me forever. So remember that. Think about it every time you fall down. Beautiful. My name is Cameron Martinez, and I hope that you gain some knowledge and insight today that shows you that anything is possible and will help you craft your roadmap to six figures and beyond. Steve, thanks so much for being on here. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to the Six Figure Roadmap. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. To learn more about our membership, visit us online at www.lvrg.it.